What do you guys seek after? What do you treasure? The reality is if you look at what you spend your time on, what you spend your money on, where you exert effort, the things you talk about, those things will reveal to people what you treasure. And so as we come this morning to this text in Philippians, I think we're going to be challenged here. Convicted, it might cut us, it's going to work to strip us of our self-confident boast, something we kind of addressed last week. And it might be a little painful, but I want you to stick with it because God's working and it's good. So with that, let's pray. Lord God, it's so easy to get caught up with ourselves, to look at our abilities, to look at our families, to to think of these experiences and these talents and these gifts and all of these other things that we pursue after and think life is found there. Help us, Lord, this morning to set our eyes again on Christ. Help us this morning to, to see that striving and working will not merit salvation. It will not earn us a place in heaven because there is only one name by which any of that is given. And it's his name that we exalt. So we pray this in that name, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Savior, in the name of the very one whose righteousness is counted towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, flip over to Philippians chapter three. We're gonna be looking at verses three through 11, but we're gonna look at some verses, talk about some things, look at a few more verses, talk, look, talk. So as you're flipping over there, Philippians chapter 3, I just want to give you a quick reminder. Last Sunday, as we were looking at this text, Paul is reminding the people that they have a Lord to rejoice in. It's a command, do this, rejoice, 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 do it. Why? Because of who he is. And then he reminds them, look out, be aware of these Judaizers, these people that he calls dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. These people are saying, Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus obedience to the law, that's what you need to really be one of the covenant children of God. And Paul says, hold on here, watch out. So keep that in mind as Paul continues, starting in verse four, he says this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, he's comparing himself to those Judaizers. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. I love what Paul is doing here. 
It's, it's, he's, he's pulling people in. It's, it's a really neat thing what he's doing here. He is sharing my boast. Like Paul's saying, you guys are boasting about circumcision, about keeping the law. Let me tell you about some boasting. Let me tell you about an awesome person. And he goes on and he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Meaning I'm not a proselyte. I'm not, I've been a Jew from the very beginning. I, I didn't grow up one thing and then come to see God. I was a Jew from the beginning, was of the people of Israel. Again, he's pointing out, I'm pure-blooded. My, my mama was a Jew. My daddy was a Jew. My grandparents were Jewish. We go all the way back. We are Jew through and through. And in fact, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Two interesting things about the tribe of Benjamin. The first king of Israel, King Saul, came from the tribe of Benjamin. But I think what Paul's actually emphasizing is the tribe of Benjamin was the only tribe that stayed faithful to the lineage of David. So the other tribes broke away. They left. They, 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 they made their own king. But we, we stuck around. We believed in this line of David. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. It might seem odd, but some of what he's pointing out here is I speak Hebrew. And not just Hebrew, I also speak Aramaic. Most Jewish people at this time didn't know Hebrew. And if they did, it was, it was little bits of it. It wasn't fluidity in their language. They actually spoke Greek, that pagan language. Not only that, he's well-educated. He studied under some of the predominant teachers of that day. He had parents who were Jewish. He had parents who had a family lineage who sent him off to the, the best schools so that he could be the best that he could be. All of these things came through his family privilege, but Paul doesn't stop there. He says, look, I've made some decisions myself. He says, I'm a Pharisee. They were the most respected religious leaders in that day. They were considered separated ones because they were so obedient, so seeking after the holiness of God. And out of the whole population of the Hebrew people, of the Jewish people, there was approximately 6,000 who would be called Pharisees. And Paul says, I'm one of those. You think you're Jewish, check out my Jewishness. He says, I'm zealous. I was a persecutor of the church. I take the law so seriously that when, that when the church first was bubbling up here, I was trying to extinguish it because they are heretics. Perhaps you're familiar with a man named Phineas in the Old Testament. There was a time when the, the Jewish people, when they were in the wilderness wandering, they started taking wives or, or laying with women of, of, of pagan tribes. And God is saying, this isn't good. You can't have these things mixing. And so one of the sons of the priest, Phineas, stabs through two people who are being intimate at one time. And God looks at that and says, that's holiness. And Paul is saying, I'm like the new Phineas here. I'm trying to cut off heresy. Can you top that? It's almost what he's saying. To the law, blameless. 
to the very thing you Judaizers are trying to push into the church. I was blameless. And by blameless, Paul isn't saying I was sinless. He was saying that my life was an example of what the Old Testament prescribes, right? There's no... Sometimes we think the Pharisees thought they were perfect and without sin. That's not true. What they thought was that they were obedient to the law to the T. So when they sinned, they did all the necessary things, the cleansing rituals, the sacrifices. They did all of these things to remediate the problem of sin in their life where the regular Jew might not do that. And Paul is drawing these people in. I love this because he's setting them up. Perhaps they weren't realizing when he was talking about the dogs, the evildoers, or those who mutilate the flesh. Maybe they thought he wasn't talking about them. And so as he's going through this list, you can imagine the Judaizer going like, yeah, Paul, that's what I'm talking about. That's what the church needs today. And I love it because he's drawing them in. It's almost like, listen up, Judaizers. Listen up. Let's hear what this super spiritual Jew amongst Jews has to say. And as he, they all lean in and they're all excited what he's going to say, he says, dung. That's the PG version. And I'm not joking. That's literally the PG version Um, I know we want to say the Bible is this clean cut thing, but Paul actually is using explicit language. If you look here in verse eight, look what Paul says. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That is such a lame translation. Dung. Oh, the dung of human confidence. We have to see the the rubbish, the, the waste, the foolishness, the dung of human confidence and the assets that we pursue after, that we hope in, that we trust in. When I first came out to visit here in the wintertime, I was sitting having a conversation with the search committee, and one of the first things that somebody told me when I came to Midland was, at one point, there were more PhDs per capita in this town than anywhere else in the United States. Now, first, let me say this. I have no problem with education. I'm I'm pro-education. But if your confidence and your hope is in your education Paul would say, if you're trusting in human intellect alone, rubbish. If your hope is to somehow be so smart and so key to life where people need you so much that God will look and say, I need you because you're so smart, I think you forget who God is. But it's not just that. There's some other things. Right? We, we, we often trust in our, our, our family lineage, right? Some of you maybe come from some well-known family or some sort of established thing. I'm sure at some point, maybe not so much today, but if you went back in the day, if your last name was Dow, people were like, oh. For a little while, my family, we lived just down the road from a, a private university called Blair Academy. Think of Dead Poet Society, and if you don't know what Dead Poet Society is, shame on you. Check it out. Um, But Blair Academy, 
had ambassadors, business moguls, uh, senators, military leaders have graduated from this school and their children and grandchildren have graduated from the school. It's been around for about 200 years. And so you walk around these halls and you see Oh, that's my grandpa's name on this building. Or, oh, my family has been here for five generations. You think about the sway in the open. And Paul is trying to say, if you have confidence in your family, like, look, I'm from Benjamin. I'm from a a faithful tribe. You know what? Worthless. And it's not just what we are or who we are. We trust in the things we can obtain. I find it interesting that the Beatles wrote these two songs. Well, one they didn't write, they they covered. But the Beatles sang this song, I don't care too much for money, money can't buy me love. Sounds pretty good. But they also covered a song that says, the best things in life are free, you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money, that's what I want. Now you're all going, that's what I want, Uh, right? We put our hope in, in, in money and in finance. We put our hope in these things. Why? Because they can get us comfort. They can get us influence. They can open the door to some of the things in life. And Paul is saying, like, look, you might be the wealthiest person. You might come from the greatest line of, of families who have, you know, founded America. You might think that you're so wise and you're so smart. He's saying if your confidence is in any of these things and it is not in the Lord, it's waste. It's dung. It's garbage it's rubbish don't put your confidence in these things they're not inherently evil having money isn't evil having a good education isn't wrong there, there's things to be proud of if you look at your family and like, oh, my family did these things and those are good things. Paul doesn't have a problem with those things. The problem becomes is when we put our hope and our confidence in those things. Don't ever think because I am fill in the blank or since I have done fill in the blank God will be good to me. The prophet Isaiah tells us that even our most righteous deeds, our most righteous acts are like filthy rags. Again, that's a PG translation. Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 26, he says this. He says, for what does it profit a man that he gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And often we stop there. You pursue the world and you forfeit the soul. But here's the part that's even deeper. And I think it's a shame that we often stop at the first half of this verse. Or what shall man give in return for his soul? There's nothing you can do that will somehow merit or somehow deserve, or, or somehow earn. And I love that Paul goes through this list here because Paul isn't trading something good for something better. He has added up all of the things that he has put his confidence or his hope in. And he goes, I add it all up, and it is dung. That's what it equals. It's not, oh, it was pretty good, but this is better. This is a waste. Why? 
because the garbage that he once put his confidence in has actually blinded him from the righteousness, the real righteousness that he needs. Doesn't that sound really holy? Like very theologically sound? He saw his, his, his depravity, and he saw his, his lack of ability to earn and merit salvation, and he saw the righteousness of God, right? It sounds very theological, sounds very Paul, but I don't think that's actually the full reason. Look, look here at these verses, seven through nine. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him and have a righteousness of my own that comes not from the law, But that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Does he see a need for righteousness? Yes, it's there. But I think what he saw on that day, as he's walking on that road to Damascus, right? Going to persecute the church. When he sees God, he sees a superior affection. He sees something that is far more lovely than his deeds, his acts, What does he see? He sees Christ. He sees the surpassing worth of just knowing Jesus. He treasures something greater. And it's something I think we need to seek after and and pursue. We need to observe the glory of Christ. And his righteousness. But when you see Christ, you can't help but see his righteousness. You can't look to the righteousness of Christ and somehow separate his righteousness from who he is. We have to observe the glory of Christ and his righteousness. It's interesting that this man who goes down this list and says, look, I mean, I was the Jew amongst Jews. I mean, I I had it all. I was faithful. I was blameless. I was all these things. And he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the law was the ministry of death. He saw something in Christ that changed his perspective of the law. The thing he was all about and pursuing, he now sees as the ministry of death. And then he says, it's the ministry of righteousness. Excuse me. The ministry of righteousness must far exceed the law in its glory. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 10. Indeed, it indeed in this, excuse me. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 10. Indeed. In this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpassed it. Hearing that, the law is not evil. The law was given to us by God. It's not evil. But the glory that it carried is dim compared to the glory that he has in Christ. Something brighter has come. Have you ever been at a, a stadium, a baseball, football stadium, something like that, in the middle of the night? No one? Okay. I know no one likes 
football in Michigan, so no one's been there in the middle of the night, you know, late at night, right? You look at the field, and it's like daylight, right? Because of all of those lights. But if you shut off all of those lights, and you're out there with your cell phone on, and it's dark in the stadium, you know, they shut off all the lights in the concession area and things like that, the cell phone looks really bright, But then they flip the switch back on and a greater brightness comes and it pales in comparison. You would not want to watch a football game by like cell phones, right? You wouldn't be like, did you see that? No, didn't, right? Someone flipped the switch. So there's brightness, there's light, but he's saying there's something far brighter, far greater, far more glorious. And it's not the law, it's the one who has come to fulfill the law. It's not the law, it's the one who is, as he writes here, the righteousness that's from God. Your righteousness, not from God. There's a greater righteousness, and it comes from Christ. And it's yours, he says here, through faith. Isn't that a relief? I think for some of us, we need to hear it again because we are striving, we are working, we are thinking, if I could just be better, if I could just do this, if I could just be more faithful here, if I could, if I could, if I could, and we're striving and we're tired. Is it just me? tired of trying to be perfect i'm tired of waking up saying today's the day and all i got to do is put my feet on the ground and i've already screwed up and then i think well i got to do something to fix this are we not tired of striving and paul is saying it's yours it's all yours if you would just put faith in this righteous one who has come from god this One who is the perfection of the law because he followed in perfect obedience. It's a gift given to you. You don't earn it. You don't merit it. You just believe and put your faith in it. And then you are counted as righteous. Not because what you've done. It's an alien righteous. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from the outward or inward out. It comes from the outside in. And you're changed. God doesn't count sin against you, not because you're righteous. He doesn't count sin against you because of Jesus Christ. How is this accomplished? Well, we actually read this verse earlier today in the service, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, the Son, to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. How can sinners be saved? How can unworthy ones be counted as righteous? It's not because of our righteousness. It's because of the righteousness that Christ secured for us and that it is counted, it is imputed upon you. That's glorious righteousness. That's amazing. 
That changes us. It it changes what we boast about. It changes the things we pursue. It changes where we place our confidence. I'm not going to put it in anything else because if I put it in myself, if I put it in what I do, what I'm actually doing is diminishing and tarnishing the glory of God in Christ Jesus. It diminishes the righteousness that Paul saw and changed everything that he was about. And I pray it diminishes the righteousness that you saw at some point in your life and you said, I can't keep doing this by myself and God says don't Jesus's righteousness is here for you trust in that and that you see it and it is beautiful I can't keep doing this because look at that it's it's amazing I can't keep doing this what happens when you set your gaze upon Christ and you place your faith in him you're saved. You're changed. You have a new goal. You have new purposes. You want something more. Look at what Paul says here. Verses 10 and 11. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. When you see the righteousness of Christ clearly, you don't think, I need to keep working. You think, whoa, how is it that God would do this for me? Why is he this good to me? You know what I need? I need more of him. Not my works, him. And Paul expresses in passionate, eloquent, his new desire. He says right there in verse 10, I want to know more of him. I want to be more like he is. May we delight in the treasure of knowing Christ the way Paul does. Do we treasure Jesus? Here's something that, that, that shocked me. I didn't realize this until I was prepping for this. But when Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, it's likely 30 years, 30 years after he became a Christian. So here's the part that might be a little painful. Where is your zeal? Where's your passion? Are you still saying, man, I am not tired of Christ. I want more of him. I want to pursue him. I'm going to run hard after him. And some of you have only been a Christian for five years. 30 years, Paul's still like, do you know who Jesus is? And he, he hasn't grown tired of, of, of knowing who he is. He hasn't grown tired of, of pursuing after him. He hasn't grown tired. The glory of Christ Jesus and the righteousness found in him isn't old hat. It isn't boring. It isn't something he's put back like, yeah, yeah, I did that 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I did that 15 years ago. Yeah, I did that 30 years ago. Yeah, I did that 50 years ago. He's like, it's still amazing. So like I said, there's a little cutting here. Where is our zeal? Here's the best part. This is the thing I think is amazing here. Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may seek 
uh, excuse me, share in his suffering, becoming like him in death, that I may, by any means possible, obtain the resurrection of the dead. He's going hard after God and seeking the righteousness of Christ. Paul's ambition, Paul's overarching goal in life was to have a deepening, widening, familiar knowledge, a relationship with Christ. Why? Because he was the treasure. I don't treasure my confidence. I don't treasure what I can do. I treasure him. He wants to know the power of resurrection. It's not knowing intellectually. It's knowing through experience. It's interesting that Ephesians chapter two, verses one through six, talks about conversion using resurrection as a description. It's not just Ephesians. You can find it in other passages there. The apostle wants to know the transformative power that, that you get when you have life in Christ. But then he also says, I want to share in his sufferings. Literally, it says fellowship in his sufferings. Who wants fellowship with suffering? Well, hopefully all of us do because Acts 14, tells us that it's only through many tribulations that any will enter the kingdom of God. Huh? What? Suffering helps me enter the kingdom of God? Yes. Because suffering will strip you away, will strip away from you all of the confidences that are false. Suffering will remind you that it is the power of Christ that you need to trust in. And so then you know better the power of the resurrection because you suffered. And the suffering, oh, now I know the the power of the resurrection. And then the power of the resurrection gives you the strength to face suffering and trials and tribulations. And then in those trials and tribulations, you see again the need for the power of the resurrection. And then you go there. It's this cyclical thing. The life of the Christian is a cycle of death and resurrection. Die to sin, trust in the Lord. Find new sin, die there. Kill all false confidence, trust in the righteousness. It's this continual cycle. And Paul is saying, I want to know it more. I want to be found in Christ. I want to know Jesus intimately. I desire to seek after this power of the resurrection and to join in the fellowship of suffering so that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you hear the focus? Do you hear the passion? Do you hear the pursuit that Paul has here? That is because he treasures Christ. And the amazing thing is, The more you pursue after your treasure, the more you treasure the thing you pursue. He's saying, I will do whatever it takes. I will strive tooth and nail to obtain the resurrection from the dead. And you might say, man, Paul, you you seem to be all about Jesus. You want to be with him, in him, by him, know him, this, him, 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 him. And then all of a sudden here at the end, you're like, it's all about Paul. No, it's not. What is the prize of the resurrection? Is it the new body that we get, that we all look forward to, and all the aches and pains and things will work right? Is it everlasting life? Well, I get to live forever. 
is the fact that we'll have the ability to be reunited with brothers and sisters in the Lord who have died before us. All of those things are great. Don't get me wrong. They're amazing. I look forward to those things. But none of those things and a plethora of other things that maybe run through your head are the prize. The prize, the thing, the treasure that that Paul wants to attain in the resurrection is Jesus himself. Other pastors have said this, but I'm going to steal their their words. If you got to heaven and you had all of those things, but Jesus wasn't there, would you still be fine? Heaven is heaven because the righteousness of Christ is there because the fullness of his glory will be manifested there forever and ever and ever. And we who are found in him get to be with him. Him, he's the prize. He's why Paul will fight tooth and nail to obtain the resurrection. Not because he hopes to see his grandparents or kids or any of these other things, but because he'll see his treasure, Christ. So I want to know him more. I want to pursue after him more. I want to know the the power of the resurrection. And also I want to join in the fellowship of suffering because it's through those things that I will obtain the true treasure, Jesus Have you ever prayed these verses? Have you ever prayed verse 10 and 11? It's a dangerous prayer. It will cause you to cast off fleshly comforts. It will cause you to to change the trajectory of the things you pursue. It will cause you to to look at things you once treasured and see them as dung and and cast them aside. And, And maybe the world around you will look at you and say, you're foolish you're, you're, you're giving all of this up? What, why are you pursuing this guy who died 2,000 years ago? And you will say, because there's nothing more glorious than the righteousness of God. And his name is Jesus. And he has shown me his glory and I want more of it. I need it. I crave it. I will fight for it. If we start to pray, perhaps verse 10 and 11, we will treasure what matters most. We will treasure Christ Jesus. And that is good. And it changes everything. It gives us hope. It gives us a peace. It gives us a life that we can have even amidst the trials and tribulations and the brokenness of this world because you could break my body. You could kill me, but you can never take my righteousness and my hope away because it's in Christ Jesus. May we be a people willing to pray this and say, I want to know him more. You know what the heart of a believer is who knows Jesus? It's to know him more. I feel like salvation is this this opportunity where we we open the doors into knowing who God is and we walk into this lobby or this this beautiful foyer with the grand staircase going up both sides and you're thinking, this is amazing, this is beautiful, this is awesome, this is who Jesus is. And then you see there's a door on the other side and you open that one and there's an even bigger room filled with more glory and you're like, this is incredible, this is getting better than this. And you see there's another door and another door and another door and for all eternity, 
all you're doing is you are plumbing the depths of the glory of God. That's who he is. Don't make a small Jesus. Pray that you don't make a small Jesus. Have a Jesus that is worth treasuring because his righteousness knows no bound and his glory is forever, ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to see the treasure of Christ. Help us to see his glory. That is his righteousness. Help us to see it so clearly that by its blinding light, we will look at the little trinkets of of confidence that we brought, these little dollar store flashlights and think, how foolish of me to trust in these things, to, to treasure the pursuit of these things when true righteous glory stands before me. Help us to not put our confidence in in our works. Help us to not put our confidence in our family. Help us to not put our confidence in anything else but Christ. Let us count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. But the only way we will see it as surpassing worth is if we set our eyes upon him. So Lord, help us to see his righteousness. Help us to see his goodness. Help us to see his perfections and delight in them forever and ever so that we would count all things as rubbish and we will pursue, we will run hard so that we can know him more. Let us know him more. Let us know the power of his resurrection. Let us be fellow sufferers with him, becoming like him in his death, so that by all means possible, we will obtain the resurrection of the dead so that we will have him fully. Let us be about Christ in all things. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kurt.